you guys. Great singing. Great singing. All right. Thank you all so much for leading us today. It's good to see everybody. Um, we're filling up as we get closer and closer to Christmas, and that is um, great to see. Good to be with you all. We started our Christmas series last Sunday. We're looking at Matthew's Gospel. We're going to go through uh, all these wires and stuff, Miss Liz. We need to, you know, you're good. All right, she's good. All right. I was sitting there looking at those earlier. I thought, boy, that's a bunch of stuff to get snagged on. Um, so anyhow, we started last week in our Christmas series going through Matthew's gospel, starting with Matthew chapter 1, and then today we're jumping to Matthew chapter 2, and there's a bunch of material there that connects with the wise men and the story of the wise men, so that's kind of where we're going to bed down for the next handful of weeks, so Matthew chapter 2. Um, and today we're talking about the visit of the Magi, so we'll look at the introduction of that story and how that factors into the Christmas birth narrative itself. Our text comes from Matthew chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 and 2. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word, as is our custom here. Matthew chapter 2, reading verses 1 and 2. This is the beginning of the story of the visit of the Magi. Here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east... Mm -hmm. saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You may be seated. I've got stuff that I had been reading earlier this week jumbling through my head and didn't connect with what I was reading right there. So anyhow, let's take a look at it starting at verse 1. Matthew begins, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. Who are the wise men. There's a lot of that's been written about that, a lot that's been studied about that, a lot's been produced about that, a lot of theories out there about who these wise men are. Let me share some of that thought with you. The word wise men, uh, that's translated wise men in the English, and some of you have a text note in your Bible that'll say in the Greek, it actually is the word magi or magos. The word magi or magos comes from the Far East. So if Israel is the Near East, the Far East is over in Babylon, it's over in or ancient Babylon, ancient Persia, often to perhaps even the Orient. And so that was a word that was used to describe certain people, people who were advisors to royalty. These would have been astrologers. These were people who tried to interpret the movement of the stars. These were people who used even practice demonology and would try, try to bring about magical incantations, again, all to help with the effort of kings making decisions and giving them counsel. Um, again, this is all for the purpose of advising kings. I've got a map for you here. This shows potentially the route that these wise men would have taken to get from where they were in the Far East to where uh, Mary and Joseph are in the Near East in Israel. Uh, that trip to go from ancient Babylon uh, up and around the desert, because you can't go through the desert, you won't survive that trip. You got to go up and around the desert and down into Israel would have been about an 800-mile trip. It was a very popular trade route uh, back in the day that people would have used. Um, if these guys were traveling at that kind of a distance, 800 miles, and we assume that they saw the star, the star didn't appear until Jesus' birth, right? It wasn't there months before. The star appears at Jesus' birth. And so to go 800 miles by camel speed would have taken them several months, uh, perhaps even as much as a year, to make this trip from out to the Far East to where Mary and Joseph are. Uh, couple that with the fact that Herod kills, as reported later in chapter 2, all male children in Bethlehem two years and younger. It leads one to believe that perhaps these wise men traveled from the Far East from a great distance and arrived well after Jesus' birth, perhaps as much as a year or more. Uh, one more piece of evidence that's introduced for a theory that suggests the wise men left uh, that they traveled from way out to the Far East and made their way and arrived later. One more piece of evidence to support that. And I'll just go ahead and let you up, up front. This piece of evidence is 
worthless. But I'm going to share it with you anyway, because some people use this as one of their theories, um, is the presence of the word child in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2. For example, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, Matthew reports, in going into the house, notice they're not in the manger anymore. So going into the house, Mary and Joseph decided they were going to stay in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph decided they weren't going to go back up to Nazareth where they were from, where the rest of their family was from, but they were going to stay in Bethlehem. Not necessarily to raise Jesus there, but at least for some interim period of time, they were going to stay in Bethlehem. So they're in a house, and it says that while they, were, that they went to visit Mary and Joseph in this house, and that they saw the child with Mary. Notice it doesn't say they didn't see, see the baby with Mary. Uh, so the question is, is Jesus a couple of years old at this point? I mean, they called him a child, they didn't call him... Uh, baby, why else would Matthew call him a child? Well, the answer comes to us from the original languages, and the word in Greek that's translated child in English is the word pideon, and sometimes pideon does refer to little children, like where Jesus says, let the little pideon, let the little children come unto me. But also the word is used to refer to infants. Luke chapter 1 and verse 59, reporting on John the Baptist's circumcision. He's eight days old, and he's referred to as a pideon, for example. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the pideon, the eight-day-old infant child. Back to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, perhaps it would have been better for the translators to say, just to prevent any kind of confusion, that they came into the house and visited with the baby. But nevertheless, that's what we've got, child. Sometimes people read that and read into it. Um, that's theory number one, that the wise men didn't show up for months, perhaps even a year or more after Jesus' birth. And there's some evidence that we see there that might support that. Theory number two is that the wise men were actually traveling from someplace close by. Look again at verse one. Notice what Matthew does not say. This is what got my brain mixed up earlier. Matthew does not say that they came from the east. Matthew says that they were from the east. Okay, there's a difference there. Maybe when the star appeared in the sky, they were actually down in Egypt conducting business there. Wouldn't have been that unheard of for these wise men to be traveling and doing business in Egypt. Perhaps they were up north in Syria doing business there. Or perhaps they were actually in country. Perhaps they were in Israel itself doing some kind of business or just on their way through, passing through to somewhere else. Verse 2 records the wise men saying, For we saw Jesus' star, notice the second part of there, what they tell Herod, For we saw Jesus' star when it rose. I've got a slide for you here about that verse, verse 2. The word in Greek that's translated when it rose is the word anatole, and it's typically translated east. It points to the direction of the east. So when this term is used and it says, when it rose, where do stars rise? They rise in the east. Where does the sun rise? It rises in the east. And so it's a pointing, pointing in an easterly direction. The idea here is, let's go back to our map really quickly. Get ahead of myself. Um, I ran a long ways on Friday, and so I'm just a little bit out of breath. So that happens when you run a long way. Sorry. Um, the wise men, you say, how long did you run? Ask me after church, I'll tell you. Um, so, the, so here's the map of these guys. So they traveled from Babylon. So for them, think about it now. They're over here. They are, they are east of Bethlehem. So for them to see the star rise, that means it had to be even further to the east. But yet they saw his star rising over here in Bethlehem, which means they had to be somewhere west of Bethlehem in order to see the star rise. I know that's technical, but hey, that's the way the text reads. And so that's something for us to consider. Um, so perhaps they were in Egypt, someplace that's west of Bethlehem, at the time when they saw the star Anatole, or rise, in the east. While, they were on this, while I'm on the subject of theories, those are some of the theories about uh, this text. While we're on the subject of theories, how many wise men were there? 
Sure, that's how many is in my manger scene, right? Three. Um, so, I mean, there's three gifts. And so out of those three gifts, we kind of tend to think, well, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I guess there were uh, three wise men. But if you grew up in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they teach that there were actually a dozen wise men. So again, depending on how you grew up or what you heard when you're growing up. I mean, the song says, we three kings of <laughs> Orient are. But anyhow, no one really knows. How about the star that the wise men saw in the sky? What was that? Well, some think it was an actual star. Some suggest that it was a comet. And there's all kinds of different records of comets moving through the sky around the time of Jesus' birth. Some say it was the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn uh, that occurred in the year 5 B.C. I believe it was 5 B.C. Um, that took place at that time. So that's one theory, that the star was an actual celestial event. That is possible. A second theory is that the star was a supernatural phenomena, that it was either a light that God supernaturally placed in the sky or possibly even an angel. Oftentimes in scriptures, angels are referred to as stars. Jesus held the seven stars, the seven churches in his hand, the seven angels. When you look again at the same passage, verse 9 talks about the strange movement of this star. Matthew writes, verse 9, After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star, when it rose, there's our word, Anatole, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, that's not typically how stars behave, is it? That they come to rest literally over the house where this child was. I mean, if the star was all the way up in the sky, I don't know how that would have located the actual domicile where the Lord Jesus was lay. Friends, I spent a good chunk of the week just researching all this and learning all this, and there's just mountains of evidence, and the more you dig, it's just like crazy how deep the roots of these mountains go. Uh, asking questions like, who were the wise men? How many of them were there? What direction did they come from? What was the star that they saw? But at some point in the week, I kind of stopped and I said, you know what? Hold, 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 hold. I stepped back, stepped back from all this for just a second. And asked the question, this really important question is, why did Matthew include this? Why, why is this story of the visit of the Magi in his gospel? Because when we look over at Luke's gospel, Luke gives us tons of information about the birth narrative of Jesus. He's the one who tells us about John the Baptist coming about and about Mary coming and her song and how she's going to have this baby. He's the one that tells us about the, the travel trip from Nazareth down into Bethlehem. He's the one that tells us about the manger and how there was no room in the inn. Luke's the one that reports about the shepherds out there keeping watch of their flocks by night and how these angels that appear in the sky and they're singing glory to God in the highest. Uh, Luke gives us all of these details, but nowhere does Luke include the story of the visit of the Magi. So chapters, tons of information that Luke gives us, but no story of the visit of the Magi. Mark and John, for their uh, Gospels, Mark starts his Gospel out with uh, the birth of John the Baptist. He just skips the birth narrative altogether. John starts out his Gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then he jumps to the birth of John the Baptist. So he pretty much skips over the birth narrative as well. So only Luke talks about the birth narrative and doesn't include anything about the birth of the Magi. I'm sorry, the visit. And there's my brain ran, right? The visit of the Magi. And, but then here's Matthew in his gospel wanting us to hear this piece of information, wanting us to gather this information. The question is, why is that? Why is it so important? Why did we need to know that? Well, in part, it's because of the location of Jesus's birth. Let's take a look. Look back at verse 1 with me. Matthew writes, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Matthew makes a point, goes out of his way to remind us where Jesus is born. Why is that important? It's important because Matthew is trying to convince his Jewish audience that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. 
the anointed one of God, the deliverer who has come to save his people from their sins. One of the criteria for this Messiah, one of the crumbs on the trail, is that the Messiah had to be born in the same town as David, King David, through whose bloodline this child's going to come. But not only would this child come through David's bloodline, but would literally be born in the same town, the city of David, the town of Bethlehem. In fact, Matthew weaves this, story, this detail into the story of the visit of the Magi, the actual Old Testament text where the prophet Micah makes this prediction. Uh, Matthew writes, verse 4, he says, uh, the interaction there with Herod, Herod asks, where is the Christ child to be born? Verse 5, the uh, doctors of the law got together and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet Micah, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of that tribe. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So let's talk a little bit about Bethlehem. If it was so important, for Matthew to introduce this concept of where Jesus was born and wanting to insist on that and giving these details around the life of the birth of Jesus, then what is it about Bethlehem? Well, in Bethlehem, there are actually two, I'm sorry, in Israel, there are actually two towns named Bethlehem. One was south of Jerusalem in the ancient tribal lands of Judah or Judea. I've got a map for you here. It shows Bethlehem of Judea or Judah. Uh, This Bethlehem is situated about six miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's a sleepy little town, a suburb, if you would, of the big capital city of Jerusalem. However, there was a second Bethlehem, and it was up in northern Israel, the northern territory of Israel, kind of like we have a Lexington, Georgia in the United States, and we also have a Lexington, Kentucky. We also have an Athens, Georgia in the United States, and we also have an Athens, Okay, I was going to say Ohio, but anyhow, where, I guess where you've traveled. Just the same, they had two towns by the same name in different regions in different parts of the country. The second Bethlehem was located inside the ancient tribal lands of Zebulun. Hang with me, i got another map for you here. You can see the little purple blob. That is the ancient tribal lands of Zebulun. That was what was given to the sons of Zebulun when the Israelites came into the promised land. Um, the book of Joshua reports, there's those verses down there at the bottom, uh, Joshua 19 and verse 10, this is when they're divvying up the land amongst the tribes, the 12 tribes. The third lot came up for the people of the tribe of Zebulun, and then Joshua lists off in the coming verses, in the next verses, that uh, all the different towns that are inside that little purple territory. Among them, he says in verse 15, Kadath, Nahalal, Shimron, Adala, and Bethlehem. Uh, one more map for you. This map is a map of northern Israel. You can see this, on this green map. Actually, i got two more maps. Sorry. It's a map kind of day. This green map pinpoints the location of this other Bethlehem, the one that was inside the tribe of Zebulun. It's indicated by the red marker. You can see the Sea of Galilee there, and then west of the Sea of Galilee is this second Bethlehem, if you will, in that territory of where Zebulun used to be. If you recall, Nazareth is the town. Ta- I'm sorry. One more, one more map. Um, this is another map, and this shows, this is uh, in Jesus' day, and so this shows Nazareth, the town where Jesus grew up, where Mary and Joseph were from, um, and you can see a little red X there, and the little red X is that second Bethlehem. Yeah, that's our right map. Um, again, if you recall, Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. Uh, it's where Mary and Joseph raised him. It's also the town where they were uh, themselves, uh, where they lived. 
So Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is well to the south of this location, not in Bethlehem of Zebulun, which is right next door to where Jesus was raised in Nazareth. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with the Magi, right? Well, given that there were two Bethlehems, and knowing how close in proximity this northern Bethlehem was to the town where Jesus was raised, where he was understood to be from, how easy it might have been for the opponents of the Lord Jesus to say, you know, Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. And we know that she went into her time of seclusion someplace nearby. Maybe she went to the town of Bethlehem. And this Messiah that you say is the Messiah, Jesus, was actually just born in the other Bethlehem, not in the city of David. Don't you know there were people around town that would have tried to push that story off on these Jewish folks who knew, this, who knew that the Messiah had to be born in the town of David or the city of David? Um, and so they're calling their fellow skeptics together to say, hey, look, Jesus was not born in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, the Bethlehem of Judea. He was born in Bethlehem of Zebulun. Back in that time, it was called Galilee, Bethlehem of Galilee. Friends, people believed this. They did. For example, in John chapter 7, Jesus says some incredible things. People are wowed by what he has to say. John chapter 7 and verse 40, when the people heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And other ones, others piped in and said, you know what? We think he's more than a prophet. We think he's actually the Messiah, verse 41, the Christ. But some question this saying, but is the Christ to come from Galilee? Verse 42, has not the scripture in Micah said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was born? In other words, at the time of Christ, people didn't know or didn't believe what was stamped on Jesus's birth certificate. They supposed he was born in Bethlehem of Zebulun or Bethlehem of Galilee. Well, there were those, those were the skeptics of Jesus' day who were insisting that he was from Bethlehem of Galilee. If you're an opponent of Jesus and you want to throw water on him, all you need to do is just convince people that just one of the criteria about the Messiah, Jesus does not fulfill. For these Jews and for us, these Old Testament prophets were speaking the words of the Lord. They are God's criteria. You can't say, well, he fulfilled most of them. You know, he's got the majority of the criteria fulfilled. He's at, he's at like 85%. Friends, it's either he fulfills them all or he is not the Messiah. He is not the anointed one of God. So why does Matthew include this account of the visit of the Magi? Well, remember, Matthew is writing some 50 years after the birth of Christ, long past the memory of people who lived in that town and, them, uh, and about Bethlehem. So remember, he's writing 50 years after Jesus was born, which begs the question, who is even alive at the time that Matthew writes this? Who even remembers what was going on in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth? Who was even alive who would remember what was going on, much less in the sleepy little town of Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Well, to help jog their memory, right? To help jog, you with me? Do we need to go back a couple pages? I know it's been a lot. 
maps and all this kind of stuff, to help jog their memory, to help people realize, you know what? There was some stuff, some details around the time when Jesus was born that can help us confirm that, yeah, there really was this celestial event. There really was this amazing event, this thing that happened, and Jesus really was born in Bethlehem. Notice what he writes in verses 3 and 4. Matthew says, verse 3, When Herod the king heard about these magi following the star, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In the Greek, the word that's translated troubled means to be agitated. Herod was agitated. Herod was stirred up. Herod was tossing and turning in his sleep at night when he heard this news that the Magi had come and brought. It says not only, though, that Herod was troubled, but it also says so was all of Jerusalem with him, the 100 thousand plus residents of Jerusalem were all in a, stirred up just the same. And so this, this, about the strange visit of the Magi and their claim of the birth of the Christ child. Matthew is saying to his contemporaries 50 years later, don't you remember the stories your grandparents used to tell about how these Magi came into town? Nobody knew where they were from what their deal was, why they were there, and they start talking about this Christ child, and they're there to see the king of the Jews, and everybody in town is stirred up. Don't you remember the stories that your grandparents used to tell about King Herod and how the infants of Bethlehem were slaughtered? Don't you remember that from your civics lesson? That right about the time that the Lord Jesus came into the world, don't you remember learning about those things? Friends, Matthew is piecing together for his contemporary audience, the events of history. And these events point, and verify, point to and verify the location of Jesus' birth. That information checks off one more box of the criteria of this Messiah. Matthew chapter 2 is screaming, Jesus is Messiah. All right, well, that's our text for today. I know it's a lot. I was kind of a lot this week. Uh, I enjoyed it, though. It was fun in the studies and stuff. There's just, again, mountains of information that people got out there. But sometimes you have to step back from it and just ask, why are y'all, like, what is this all about? What's the point? And so Matthew gives it to us. He's trying to say Jesus is Messiah. All right, um, that's our text for today. And so that means it's time for us to stop here and ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Um, When I was eight years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I understood that I had a sin problem, that I could not fix it, and that Jesus' death on the cross, if I appropriated that to my life, was the solution to my sin problem. Now, I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I hit Sunday school every Sunday. We hit children's church. I can't tell you how many children's church lessons I heard as I was growing up. All these stories, my mom used to read them to me at night as I was heading off to bed. Um, My point is, my upbringing pointed me toward the Lord Jesus. I had no reason to doubt whether or not these stories were true. My church community told me they were true, and I believed my church community that these were indeed true. But you know, as you get older, you begin to ask questions like, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? I mean, I know it says it in the Bible, and and, and I know that my church tells me that he resurrected from the dead, but how, how do I know that he really resurrected? from the dead. I mean, even one of Jesus' own disciples asked that question, Thomas, until I see the scars touch his side. I'm just, I just can't believe that. 
Those are adult kind of questions. So, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says he did. But again, how do I know? Well, consider the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Consider the hundreds or even thousands of people who are willing to give their lives rather than recant their testimony that they saw the resurrected Christ. I mean, it is rare for somebody to give their life for something they believe in. It is unthinkable for somebody to give their life for something they know is a lie. And so, again, those are adult kind of questions with grown-up kind of answers. Matthew affords us one of those with the information he reports in Matthew chapter 2. We celebrate this information at Christmas time by setting out the wise men as part of the manger scene. I've got some wise men at my house. But what I hope we discover today is that the addition of this information to the Christmas story, what I hope happens today is that every time you look over there at those little wise men, you recognize what Matthew was trying to do for grown-up people. Matthew was saying Jesus really was born in Bethlehem of Judea, just like the prophet Micah predicts. Does Jesus fulfill every criteria laid out for the Messiah? Matthew says, indeed he does. And so I'm thankful for the skeptics of Matthew's day that pushed him to dig deeper into the history books. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, drove him to verify that Jesus indeed fulfills every detail related to the coming of Messiah. And the rest of his gospel continues to, from this point forward, continues to build this case that Jesus is indeed Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that God has sent and predicted from the beginning of time to come and deliver his people from their sins. A couple of thoughts and then I'm done. Friends, to be skeptical is no crime. To question our faith or our would-be faith is a perfectly legitimate posture for you to take. God is not asking us in coming to Christianity to take a blind leap into some irrational void. Rather, God leaves enough crumbs on the trail to verify the reliability of what he's asking us to believe, which in turn then helps us firm up our faith. And so if you're here today and you are a believer, again, my hope is that every time you look at those little wise men figurines in your home, every time you see them come across the TV screen, that faith rises in your hearts. That's why they're included in the story. It's one more detail given by God that verifies our faith in Christ. And finally, for those who have yet to place your faith and your trust for eternity in Jesus Christ, Know that the Christmas story is calling out to you just like it was to those wise men. That Messiah is here. The Savior of the world has come. And so do as the wise men did. Bend your knee. Come and worship him. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you for speaking to us today from your word. Lord, when we sit with it, when we hear it as you intended it for its original audience, Oh, God, the power of your word and your truth, Lord, they flush out. And it inspires faith. It inspires us, Lord, to commit ourselves all the more to you. And so, God, as we share in this time of communion today, may this be a time, Lord, where we say, you know what, Jesus? I'm all yours. I am, I am all in. I know this story is true. I've been told this story all my life. But Jesus says, I see the details of the text and the crumbs that you left in the trail. Oh, man. God, I am all yours. I am all in. 
Lord, use this time of communion to draw us unto yourself. We give you this space. We pray that you work and move in our hearts. In Christ's holy name, amen.